What's up, Stitches? Welcome to episode 12 of season 3 of So What with your gal, Isabella Rosner. Today's episode is an interview with artist, embroiderer, and friend of the pod, Rowan Riley. Rowan reached out to me on the So What Instagram page many moons ago, and I was immediately a fan of their work, and we became fast friends, which, <laughs> what a treat and a joy. I love that. Oh, love it. Yes. Rowan's embroidery focuses a lot on bodies and illness, which has been discussed very little on the pod thus far, so I'm really jazzed about the opportunity to delve into those topics. Before we do, though, quick social media spiel. You can find images of what Rowan and I discuss today on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at So What Podcast, and on the podcast's website at SoWhatPodcast.com. I'm just going to get right into it. We have a lot of ground to cover, so let's do it. Let's learn about Rowan. Their artist statement is better than anything I could ever write about them, so I'm going to just read it to you. It reads, quote, Rowan Riley is an artist and embroiderer based in London. Rowan's sewn work explores bodies, illness, and how the experience of living in one's own body is simultaneously universal and deeply personal. Rowan graduated with distinction from the MA in Fine Art at Central St. Martin's in 2020, and their final work was shown at the Saatchi Gallery in Chelsea and shortlisted for the Cass Art Prize for Innovative Use of Materials. Rowan's roots are in contemporary dance, and their art practice began to develop in the final year of training at Trinity Laban, or Trinity Laban in my American accent, in London, with a project exploring skin, state, and condition as a surface of expression. Rowan uses embroidery to focus on how interior bodily experience can be communicated via exterior presentation with skin, while providing its encapsulating protective function, can mask internal truth, inner workings, and failings. Rowan is especially interested in how bodies seem to have a language not easily accessed or understood, becoming particularly evident when health fails or functioning is limited by illness or injury. Text is a constituent feature of Rowan's work, and stitched sayings, phrases, wordplay, and occasional profanity are provided as food for thought. Rowan's final MA work, Legs, came from needing to do something with their long-held frustration at the challenge of communicating otherwise invisible interior experience to make a symbolic replacement for their challenging body. As the needle passed through the fabric and caught the interior stuffing in order for the information to be embedded in the sculpture, Rowan was commissioned to make work in response to medical research taking place at Imperial College London into memory loss. The resulting work involved collaboration with a painter and printmaker and was shown at the Elephant West Gallery in White City and at London's Science Museum. 2021 saw Rowan's first work specifically for the digital environment when they were invited to make a piece for the Shape Open online show. The work was on a microscopic scale and explored damage to fabric integrity from the process of stitching and unstitching, end quote. And now let's actually hear from Rowan, shall we? Here we go. Rowan, I'm so happy you're here. I'm really, really excited to talk to you today. Bit surreal, I have to say. Um, hi, it's a delight. And <gasps> yeah, the day is finally come. I know, from the So What Instagram DMs. 
to the Zoom. Here we are. Yeah, that was cheeky. What drew you to embroidery and how did you start stitching? I'm curious about your journey, your, your life story. Uh, my journey with stitching has not actually been that long. Um, I trained as a dancer, but halfway through I needed surgery on my hip and I had a mad idea to hand quilt a queen size quilt um, <laughs> of Hopkins as I was recovering from the surgery, um, which I did. And I hadn't even discovered English paper piecing by that point. So it was all a little bit of a angles nightmare oh God, <laughs> as hexagons are. Um, I didn't go with squares to start with. No, 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 hexagons. <laughs> um, that was a wonderful achievement. Um, I then went back to dancing and found, uh, I went to a, kind of an alternative, kind of alternative dance training, contemporary dance um, institution called Laban in uh, Southeast London. And there's a lot of freedom for what you can explore for your final third year, they call it an independent project, um, which is like a, I guess what in other degrees would be your dissertation. Mm. Um, and I found that I wanted to look at skin as a surface of expression. So yeah, the sort of a practice emerged at my last year of Laban and then I had a crazy idea to keep sewing and mm, eventually died for my masters. I know crazy <laughs> uh, masters at St Martin's in fine art with some soft sculpture which um, I embroidered into. That's kind of the start of. I think I applied knowing that I had a skill. Mm. Um, and wanted to see where it could go. Um, I've always liked things that require a lot of attention to detail. I'm a through and through perfectionist, which means I unpick sewing quite often, which I really try not to, but it's very hard. <laughs> yeah, I like the, the slow, gradual progression, um, and it's really great to produce something with my hands. It's really technical textural tactile yeah something kind of shiny definitely coming from dance training my body was my tool my body was the thing that did the art mm. I want to say it like that and coming then into sewing uh I was just making the art with just the arms rather than the whole body but there was still something about the movement and the repetitive stitching or the handling of the fabric that was so important to a connection with what I was making yes yes I mean like that's one of the reasons I really wanted to have an episode with you because you know everybody who's come on the podcast and all the objects I talk about obviously involve movement they involve the a pretty, you know, different riffs on the same movement of using a hand and fingers to 
pierce a piece of fabric with a needle. But at no point on the podcast thus far have I really explored the body um, with it and how the body connects to stitch. So I'm very excited for the opportunity to talk to you because that is what so much of your work is all about. And I think that that's something that is a universal part of needlework that I don't ever think about really, that I don't know if other people think about, but I, I definitely don't. And therefore I have not really brought it up on the pod. And that's why I like, I think stitching in the body are so important and so intertwined. And I think your work plays with that, comments on that and makes that super clear. So thank I you. I also find that uh, sewing can be a vehicle for me to explore things that can be quite difficult or challenging for me personally or, or wider. Mm. Um, just kind of as humans living in bodies that don't always work that well or suddenly have major difficulties doing basic things and uh, that are immensely fallible and unpredictable Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and I think through the course of the challenges I've had living in my body sewing has given me a practice where I can again I think it's that soft tactile textural engagement with the materials that I find useful to engage with the harder stuff maybe that's a that's a poor cliche but no it's so good I was gonna (laughs) say how much I loved it yes no I think that's I think that's lovely and very uh poignant but something wholesome about that to use the soft to deal with the hard everything you just said answers a question I was going to ask really well that question was does embroidery as a medium offer opportunities other art forms don't when it comes to making work about those topics? And from what I'm gathering, it's yes, there's a softness, there's a comfort. It does for me. Yeah, there's that. a softness. That it has a form of the things that I've made that are 3D. It's been absolutely important to have a physical form that my ideas that sometimes come fully formed walking into my head, um, that they have been created from nothing, from an idea and become something physical, real. Uh, You can't deny their existence. Kind of giving away about myself there, but um, yeah, uh, it's been, yeah, I find textiles and sewing a very useful way to connect with what I'm feeling with my hands and with my wider body. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I mean, I can understand and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like embroidery is where your feelings in and about and with your body and your brain combine <laughs> the intersection is that I think so. it just happens to be something that I found I was totally immersed and totally engaged in and I can 
be immersed in embroidering even when in massive amounts of pain uh when I wouldn't be able to sit and read Mm. in those moments um I think that's something about the attention to detail or the scale of what I'm making the scale of the miniature stitches or the concentration needed which is combined with this physical manual uh, interaction with the materials Mm. that perhaps marrying those two thinking and doing can takes me into a different different headspace that is actually so interesting I've just had a small brain blast, you're probably way ahead of me and have already thought about this, but I've just realized because of what you have just said that I've been with what you were just saying, I have just thought about the intersection between needlework being done historically and pain, I guess. Like, uh, I think I've thought a lot about how needlework has been used historically, I guess, after wars and in different situations to help heal, um, things like PTSD and like kind of mental stuff post-war, but I've not really thought about how historically when, you know, not that modern medicine is perfect, but modern medicine was far from what was happening, that there was probably a lot of, you know, people were in different forms of discomfort, whether it was a toothache or, you know, like they just got bled, they just had leeches on their body, all of this stuff. how needlework, I'm assuming, I don't want to make things up about people's experiences, but I would think that as it is now, it was then this kind of balm for times of discomfort. Mm -hmm. And that it's actually- Well, you're kind of mending by doing. And there there was all of the, the Victorians' ideas about for example, asylums for those with uh, really challenging mental illness. They had allotments and farms and activity that today we might call occupational therapy. Mm. I don't know. I think there's definitely merit in manual activities that perhaps engage a different plane of your brain and producing uh, something that either is um, decorative, for example, let's go with the decorative uh, or useful or a combination of the two or a bold expression of how someone is feeling in that particular moment making that thing. You have made a thing. So you have transferred something that is internal, psychological, um, impermanent, certainly, uh, into something that is present and permanent. And I think I find that a very important thing for me. And yeah, when things have been difficult for me and reality has maybe been a bit kind of questionable, I've still made a thing and I can see the the sewing that I have done with my own hands. Um, yeah, that's been useful. 
wow you have just like given me so much food for thought I don't know how I've not thought about any of this before but it's like I am just sitting here having small brain blast after small brain blast because it's true like it is the idea of having something physical as a marker of one's not necessarily productivity or or progress but this marker of like oh this is some work I put in but also yeah you're right I don't think I don't feel it's about progress I think progress scares me yeah anyway um, but it is a you are creating to use the really kind of cliche now of a personal archive through the mm. things that you are producing and definitely seeing in terms of skill and technique you know in theory some kind of evolution of what you're able to do with your needle and thread or the evolution of an idea which started in one direction and eventually ended up with something that for example like my masters I we had to submit a proposal before we started about what we felt we would use the two years for Mm. and weirdly enough I took a very circuitous route and got back to something quite near what I proposed to do with my masters, which really shocked me. I, d- I hadn't realized it until I was trying to put all the paperwork together for our submission at the end of the second year in lockdown. That right. was fun. The times, um, yeah. And yeah, I think I, I really got a lot from my masters. I had a particularly wonderful tutor in my second year. And I found that over the two years, I suddenly could back up my uh, assertions about my practice. And we had a trip towards the end um, where it was another tutor who said, you shouldn't use text in your work. And that's that's an important thing for me to be using in my work. And I was sort of bowled over by this, you shouldn't do that. And I went away and I could refute the point because I had reached a point where I knew what my practice was and I knew why it was important. And that felt a really big thing to have achieved. And uh, yeah, definitely having the confidence in what it is that you do is an immense achievement. Um, Definitely from starting off feeling Again, absolutely did not deserve to be there, having come from Wrong. a degree in contemporary no. dance to so an artist and find out. <laughs> that is amazing. And you so deserve to be there. But also, like, how amazing to have, as you've just said, it's true, like a personal archive, but one that is because you've you learned your own practice and who you are and how you make art, one that was so personal. Like you're putting the personal in the archive, not to get into the cliches again but I love a cliche also interestingly which did occur to me mid masters Mm. of how stitches can absolutely be unpicked this all can be taken away from this ground fabric and the traces it would leave would just be absences where the needle has pushed the fibers apart um and that got me really excited thinking about doing 
a work that needed to be digital, which I could not get my head around making something that had to be on a website because mm. I got all frustrated about how it was framed by this computer screen and then framed by a web page. And I have often felt it's really important for my work to be directly accessible by somebody looking at it. Mm. And these frames of screens and web pages are kind of furthering someone from being able to see what it was that this this person, me, mm. had made with my hands. Eventually I got over myself uh, and um, uh, looked at different stitches under a microscope, which was super fascinating. Love that. Uh, but I had a, a sequence where lots of overworked stitches in a very small area were unpicked over a series of Polaroids of what this microscope could see. Cool. And therefore you were left with the absences, the holes, and the fibres of the stitches that had been removed. And you know, there were bigger disruptions for where there had been mm. several stitches over each other and then there were smaller bits and there was a bit of a, a run in one place um and yeah I, I feel like that um that piece came from a wonderful organization called shape which everyone should go and have a look at that they amplify disabled artists and non-disabled artists work in the most wonderful supportive generous way and this was a work that was in the pandemic and the um we were encouraged to think about the impact of the pandemic on us as disabled artists and this unpicking and removing but being left with the evidence of this for me kind of really completed that thought of how for some people the pandemic had kind of happened to them and they had remained the same for example or mm. they had not had significant disruption to themselves over a long period of time but yet perhaps for some people maybe be maybe people with disabilities being a group of those people the disruption had been long lasting and was not going to be repaired um as a result of the difficulties they'd had accessing the care they need you know asking if uh they were going to be able to have the care that they deserve and have fought very hard for while the legislation changed and whether they were going to be assigned a DNR because they had learning difficulty. <gasps> and yeah, don't get me started on that. Um, so yeah, I was interesting that a microscope um, and some unpicking of thread kind of became this metaphor for long lasting damage by a, <laughs> by uh, the management of bits of society over others. 
what an extremely poignant and powerful and brutal in a good way piece of art and a way to think about and feel the impact of the pandemic on a specific group of people congratulations but also I'm sorry but also good job it was interesting it just I'd long wanted to look at stitches under a microscope because I knew that the twist of the cotton for example where it is how it is manufactured you can see it under a microscope it's kind of magical and I uh this particular microscope could record video. So I recorded a video of going into an out of focus on a drizzle stitch um, with rayon thread, which doesn't fray in the same way. And yeah, it was like a whole new alien underwater subterranean world of these strange kind of organisms. The way the microscope works is that you can only look at one depth at a time. So it was really focusing on that that damage to the fabric. Yeah. Oh, how lit. This all leads very well into the next question. Is that okay? About stitches. I'm like, you busted out drizzle stitch, so now I want to know more. Oh, I love drizzle stitch. Can I <laughs> can I can I ask you some questions about your stitching? Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. Sure. Thank you. What are your favorite and least favorite parts of embroidery? Do you have favorite stitches, thread colors, anything like that? I want to know about your process. Oh, okay. Um, I am a big bullion knot fan. Yes. Uh, yes. Turkey work, big fan. Oh, yeah. You can make fluff. I know. I know the softest of all. I know. Yes. I know. Love it. Obsessed. Um, I really enjoy a French knot, but leaving it very loose. So eventually you get two little circles that are secured in the middle um, that you can kind of look a bit like bubbles. Um, I really like my perfectionism is a barrier sometimes, I have to admit. I can understand that. Yes, and I've had to work very hard at just not unpicking things that haven't gone right and working with them Mm. until I can find a solution (laughs) to what I think might have gone wrong. Um, Yeah, I've had to work quite hard at just not starting again. That's very, that is very admirable. Um, I really enjoy seeing the working and always have done with mm. lots of things. And I therefore love seeing the back of embroidery. Oh, yes. Uh, I am kind of morally against having a very neat back of embroidery. I, I know that's probably absolutely oh, I love that. to quite a lot of people. Um, Delighted by that. I yeah. love the chaos and... Yeah, obviously you, you've got a completely flipped image of where your needle went and where you decided, oh, we need a bit more of a something over here. So you've got a really long strand leading uh, over. Uh, um, I recently discovered lots of gold work stitches, which I'm really enjoying learning slash tearing my very short hair out. <laughs> um, definitely when... 
working with um, Pearl, mm -hmm. a fine wire. Um, if you snag it, it never looks the same again. <gasps> oh, devastating. Yes. But that does and make the same with any kind of silk thread if you're not careful and you've had to go back on yourself or snag something it will never look the same again and I find that quite upsetting <laughs> yeah um yeah I also really enjoy uh making things as 3d as possible because mm. it's really fun oh yeah uh, and I enjoy learning new stitches um but also seeing whether you can manipulate them to have them look unlike perhaps they're intended to so with a bullion stitch you can have the loops kind of uneven um so you won't get a very tidy shrimp it will kind of it will hourglass shape in and out then looser at one end or then a bit tighter and then out again and if you have a block of those you've got some really interesting textures um and needle lace i've been oh. investigating oh. <laughs> um i think it's kind of fascinating that you can build up these buttonhole stitch and you're creating fabric with it blows my mind bonkers <laughs> I, who who realized that i oftentimes think about that who in history was like okay okay hear me out i'm gonna do the stitch but i'm gonna do the stitch on the stitch and i'm gonna keep doing that to create fabric what is your favorite needleworked object or objects i'm very excited so um, I find it very unfair that you ask everyone this question and you have never answered it yourself. Um, because well, I think that should mm -hmm. be necessary. We should have a special, uh, you know, reversey episode where you have to answer the questions. Uh, um, because this is very hard to answer. This is why I ask, because I just want everybody <laughs> else to have to answer what I don't have to. Sorry, everybody. Um, so I have a number of objects that just make me go all weird historic I definitely absolutely head over heels in love with the cabinets and caskets mm. yes. Uh, yes yes there yes are a couple in particular um definitely martha's in the vna oh sweet little martha edlin objects I yeah think. it's so special that it comes with these other things that she's also made that are just ridiculously small the tiny gloves um, the little goose i live yes yes uh -huh. uh, i have been to sit and gaze at that cabinet the vna a number of times um and oh they just really touch me um in a way that lots of other things that I might see in a museum don't. I think it is the work involved, the labor involved, 
and the time, especially because you can't spend that long with an object that you're making without giving quite a lot of yourself mm-hmm. to it and the thought involved of what goes where, what do you even include on this, on this, you know, masterpiece of uh, uh, embroidery and how did they make those choices and which personification of the sense did they feel was important and, you know, which, which animal did they include because they were, you know, something really important to their family or their lineage or, oh, so wonderful so wonderful i also absolutely love that they're they have tiny drawers and secret compartments i know and and locking mechanisms and different ways to open them and i just can't get enough of that i i was a kid that i was like the world's number one fan of those secret diaries with the padlocks and the little keys Truly saying yes. And I storage of any kind, basically. (laughs) The first things I ever were bags, teeny weeny bags with just a running stitch around the edge. Um they took so many of my love these things boxes. Um and that they were holders of of a girl's entire entire collection of things and they were you know their their possessions could go in this container that was decorated with their choices to however much we can prove um of tales and uh parables oh i just think they're wonderful i especially love the ones which have the stump work trees and gardens um there's one yep royal collection trust that one that's what i was gonna say um yes Uh, sorry i got too excited no 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 they are so exciting i love 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 i think it connects with like a a younger version of myself Mm. wanting to keep things that are your own that are secure and private not in a way of keeping uh, I don't know it's just a this is my own thing I this is of me and this is secure in this private space uh also I really are. love frog pouches mm. they mm. are just wonderful mm-hmm. and I mean why don't we have them now I did go back and listen to some of the episodes and I have to agree. I think a couple of people had said Adeline's quilt with the signatures. Yes, Adeline Harris, Sears, my gal, my pal, I love her. And just the wonderful, I don't know whether it's an innocence or a a confidence of, you can sign this, you sign this, and I'm going to embroider it in this quilt magical insane um, i love it yes and there are two sets of gloves also in the kind of historical 
department of objects that I have absolutely fallen over head and heels in love with. Um, there is a pair of gloves that have a weeping eye. Yes, at the Met. The flower. Yeah. Yes, yes, love oh, it. Goodness. And then there's another set of uh, pair of gloves which has a hunting scene, which goes from one to the other. Yeah, the one at the MFA. Yeah, I love them. <laughs> Just the because you can see the scene happening from one hand to the other. And also you've got that lovely poetic thing of if you haven't got both of your hands, you know, if you haven't got both gloves together, you've got an incomplete scene. And, you know, I, you can just imagine somebody kind of showing off their hands and that in front of them kind of going, oh, yeah, yeah, that is chasing and it crossed over to the other one. Oh, sorry, I get carried away with that. No, so good. Yes. So they're, they're antiquated treasures. Mm. Mm-hmm. Definitely got some really modern needlework wonders on my list. Um, Hit me. I'm so excited. Can you tell I'm so yeah. excited? <laughs> oh, I'm so excited too, which I probably am not going to be able to articulate this very well. Uh, so somebody who can embroider people in an, in a way unlike anything that I imagine I will ever be able to is somebody called Michelle Kingdon, who's yes. Instagram, I think, will include. Yes. Um, just the way that these figures emerge out of the ground fabric with these stitches and the grace and the elegance that of the people that are sewn is just mesmerizing and as someone who has absolutely struggled to depict any kind of person in stitch to any degree I just find it mind-blowing to look at this work and yeah there's some beautiful scenes of um like a circle of women and the way that the fabrics of their the clothes move amazing um i am an enormous fan of the lace work of maggie hensel brown yes uh, in australia yes. um so much so that I'm kind of a stalker of her Instagram page and I, I same oh I go so deep oh um, my god um so she does needle lace um and and has in the pandemic created needle needle lace of scenes of there's there's a particular one I'm thinking of where she's in the bath yeah. Um, and she's also surrounded by objects that she has made from needle lace in a slightly different colour and then joined it into the main piece. And there's another one of a laptop. You know, laptop. I love the laptop one. The individual yeah. keys of the keyboard. Unbelievable. And I, I just cannot get enough of her work. I, Unreal. Whoa. I know. So My much of a fan of that. Um, Sally Hewitt. Yes, fan of Sally's work. Deeply upset that her work keeps getting banned by Instagram bots that don't understand that it's made of fabric. Oh my god, I did not know that. 
I hate it just shows just how incredible this sewing is uh yeah it's um I guess it could be quite a confronting uh display of bodies Hmm. unclothed bodies but the care and the tension and the skill involved in her work the word that always comes to mind when I look at her stuff is kind of like what we were talking about earlier with the softness it's supple her work is like how do you make that is such a brilliant description of it oh yes (sighs) supple totally and totally you get the movement and the texture just by looking at it yeah speaking of Mm -hmm. bodies I mean that's like she does how do you turn the fabric into a body I don't know but she's doing it oh yeah Mm. that's some magician stuff there quite yes wow Uh, speaking of bodies um I apologize if my pronunciation is rubbish but there's someone called Phoebe Corker Marin who makes the most exquisite tiny fabric figures and there's they must they must be tiny they must fit in your hand um and they she sews them together with just this how to describe how immensely satisfying the precision is and there's one of her one of the pictures on instagram is the 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 pattern of all the pieces that go into this tiny fabric person and oh my goodness like that is peak joy to see that the tiny skill the tininess so expressive without having any expression just in their movement and the organization of their limbs I think as a former dancer that makes me very very happy indeed love that love that uh there's a bit of a like a body thing going on with the things that I love isn't there I'm living Uh, I'm loving this theme um anything that Louise Bourgeois has ever made ever ever dream yes um yeah I think seeing her room at the Tate a number of years ago it's when they had the extension and they there was like an artist rooms thing and they had a room just for Louise which chronicled quite a lot of different work it had some cells in it but then it also had this kind of cabinet of where she'd she kind of merged a a kind of soft sculptured body part with a tool and there was some kitchen utensil uh, kind of mashup is a terrible way to put it but um are they that self all sorts of things for me that there were these things in the tape with such rich history of her work surrounding them um and there's a figure of a child. Um, and again, I guess a bit like Phoebe, you can just see the, the, the body of the person in this mm. figure made of fabric. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
your this selection is so top. <laughs> I I couldn't choose make making decisions is very hard for me. I just, like I think as you add the pandemic in and then decisions are just like no, I can't do it. Sorry. This is why I ask everybody else this question because <laughs> I make a decision. Ha ha. <laughs> yeah. And then my uh, I think the other person on my list again excuse the pronunciation Karen Garfin mm. who makes the most ridiculously beautifully perfect hand stitched objects miniature stitching and often stitching of text mm. in, I don't know how they do it but whoa incredible um and there's a particular work of, i can't even understand sorry i know there's a particular work of theirs about eating disorders with some dolls house furniture and embroidered bed sheets bedspreads um which gets me mm. Mm-hmm. Um, also there was a recent work at the knitting and stitching show um with the uh, yellow star of david um and uh their stories and on the lens of a tiny pair of glasses so it's i think there's something about the miniature stitching enhances or kind of uh, emphasizes the care that she's taking mm. in the subject matter Mm. And by somehow mm. reducing the size of these things, you are having to make your your viewer look very hard. You're having to have them take note of what you are asking them to investigate um, with care and attention. And by kind of zooming in on those objects, you're also providing a really direct context of the work. Yeah, so true. It's amazing. Wow, that is your selection. In addition to notch, <laughs> it's it's such a good selection, and it's a mix of artists I know well and artists I've never heard of before. So this is hugely exciting for me. I am living for the the themes that appear. There's the body mm. theme, which of course makes sense as we've had many discussions about bodies in this episode thus far, but something that makes my heart sing is that what keeps coming up is the kind of wonder of the miniature, the wonder of the tiny. And that's always the stuff that gets me so good. Like with the frog. The wonder of the tiny, especially Hmm. when I haven't, I had not necessarily been sewing that long, but I'd fallen head over heels into embroidering so much of, that's become part part of myself and mm. knowing the level of skill to create something so tiny is wondrous yeah wonder is definitely the word it's yeah. god and that idea i think we were talking earlier about labor and how laborious stitching mm-hmm. is generally the fact that it's even like basically the smaller you go the more laborious stitching is and it's such a it's such that those sorts of miniature things are such insane and wonderful testaments to 
the uh, the level of skill that's involved. Yeah, and I was just thinking about Phoebe's tiny fabric figures and mm. the way that personhood of that fabric figure is somehow evident through the skill of the needlework. Blows oh, my oh. mind. Oh, oh. And I mean, it's just... <laughs> I talked about it in an episode last season, but it's that idea that like, there's always been, there has always been that, that facet of needlework that is devoted to the tiny. And that in addition to being cute, yeah, it's cute and very cool, but there is, there's something so much more than just cute about these things. There is such Mm -hmm. skill, the wonder, I keep using the word wonder because it is like, it's like overwhelming the... But also perhaps it, mm-hmm. if you're if you have challenging subject matter and it's tiny you're actually using the we're expecting this to be cute we're expecting this to be yep pastoral yeah flowers and then if you're required to use much more of your brain to interrogate what's being said kind of switched it you look deeper used it to your advantage totally Mm. Mm. love it the question that again another question that i love asking people because i don't know the answer to it so i have to ask other people um what do you think the the role of needlework is in today's world so i actually found this question quite difficult to answer i think you've had some brilliant answers to this question in your previous episodes which I totally went back and listened to and tried to figure out how on earth they answered it um very well it turns out uh I think I have found looking at the the needle work that I find a lot of wonder in Mm. it is that the form itself uh, and the tactility, the softness, the labor involved, the the evidence of where the pers- the maker's hands have been in order to create this work. I think it does lend itself to interrogating themes and topics which may otherwise um, be difficult to engage with on anything other than an intellectual level Mm. Uh, yeah yeah so we've if you if you're bringing in elements of a work that are in any way evocative while you're dealing with something that is difficult controversial awful Mm. you are going to be engaging people in a number of ways at the same time and I think also very cleverly some artists produce work where if you're if you're glancing you're not going to see an awful lot you're going to appreciate something that's maybe decorative or maybe a bit more than decorative but the artist requires the viewer to take their time and engage with the work on a deeper level in order to get what was really intended Mm -hmm. 
captivated by it. And I'm always so very impressed when a work can do that. Uh, I think I really admire the the rules and regulations that a work <laughs> an artist can put on their own work to say, well, if you're not going to give it the time, I'm not going to show you my thinking mm. about this work that I've made. Yeah. I can't ask, answer for <laughs> the world or society in general, but I know for me that the role of needlework has been one of being a vehicle for my expression, whether it mm. is of, I'm just going to throw loads of gold work pearl at some neon green fabric. Yeah. Add as many beads as I can possibly find, which is not true. I have literally thousands and it is a bit embarrassing. Um, no, it's good. I like that. And I also think that because of the labour and the time, and perhaps the codified language of stitching mm. that, you know, a bullion stitch now is the same as a bullion stitch then. We know exactly what they did with the needle. Yeah. Um, you're going to be looking at an object that may be 350 years old, but was made by just these these same hands by this 13 year old um nearing the end of her education before she was married off okay then i'm gonna ask the last question how can people learn more about your work and do you have anything you'd like to promote uh so no on the promotion front i'm in a kind of odd position of being interviewed on the podcast while not working at all I hope to be well enough to work knock again wood. at some point knocking on wood cross uh, my fingers and my toes our bodies and you know how a lot of say and how well they work or do not work that is true um I do have an Instagram and it has quite a lot of pictures of the cat which is definitely a selling point because he's really cute and really beautiful. Emmett the cat, we love. <laughs> love and appreciate Emmett the cat. Isabella has yeah. met the cat, so. I have met the cat. The cat is glorious. The cat is very large and is like 85% fluff. Yeah. I recommend cat. And very needy, which is really good in a pandemic because you, yeah. you need a cat to need you in a pandemic. Uh, uh, yeah, my Instagram handle is Rowan underscore underscore Riley um and yes I would love to be friends on Instagram Rowan it has been a joy and a treat and an honor to talk to you thank you so much thank you very much for having me hello again great interview right This is on the lengthier side because Rowan just had so much amazing stuff to say so thank you to Rowan ah yes I will end this episode by thinking about bodies, which came up again and again in our chat. I jokingly often call bodies flesh prisons, but there are varying degrees of truth to that for different people. Bodies can limit us and hurt us and free us. 
Needlework is a way to express that freedom and limitation, but it necessitates using the thing that brings that freedom and limitation. To stitch about the body, you have to use your body. I find that frustrating, but also freeing, I guess, that an object, a physical stitched thing that can be about a body, has to come from the body itself. Does that make sense? I hope so. I think so. I hope so. Something I mentioned in my conversation with Rowan, and something I keep thinking about, is how just as they do today, centuries of people stitched while in pain, either mental or physical or both. What survives from the past, in terms of needlework, is beautiful and thought-provoking and mysterious, but very rarely does it allude to physical suffering behind the scenes. Yes, there's needlework made in various asylums and mourning samplers that point to children and parents dying young, but you'll probably never see a sampler that has a stitched inscription which reads, Mary Smith fell off a horse, broke her arm, and then stitched this sampler, or something like that. But historic documentation tells us that was happening all the time. Broken arms galore, broken bones everywhere, and leeches and bloodletting and everything else. Pain is part of life, but lots of historical needlework hid it. I'm glad that that's changed, that stitching now can express physical, mental, and emotional pain and everything in between. Because pain is a part of life, and to limit stitching to just the happy, the joyful, and the pain-free does a misjustice to both our bodies and our stitching. May we continue to stitch about and stitch through our pain and feel closer to ourselves and each other in the process. And that's all I've got this week. I hope that this week is pain-free for you, and that if it isn't, stitching or listening to this podcast episode about stitching helps. Thank you for listening. See you next week for more historic needlework goodness. Now go out and stitch some stories, and make your French knots loose so they look like delightful little bubbles like Rowan does. Bye! Bye!